Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. All right. Alrighty, good morning, good morning. It is Monday, the 13th of February, apparently also known because, you know, we love to make up hallmarky holidays. Uh, February 13th being the day before February 14th and February the 14th being Valentine's Day. Uh, apparently today is Galentine's Day or Palentine's Day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, gals and pals, apparently today is your day, tomorrow being valentine's day uh let's just let love be at the center of all of it okay and let's focus on the centrality of the love of god and let's focus our love and our affection on god and godliness how about that how's that sound to you i'm carmen LeBurge. you're listening to mornings with carmen this is the faith radio network today's growing your faith verse of the day because you know thematically on the topic of love john chapter 15 Verses 12 to 14. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says here in John 15, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way as I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. So maybe this is a uh, Valentine wish from... um, from Jesus, but it's also an encouragement to love like Christ, and it's a command. So the command to love is uh, central again to our conversation today. This is my commandment, Jesus says. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So what does it look like to love like Jesus? What does it look like to love sacrificially? He goes on to say there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What does it look like for you and I to lay down our lives, our agenda, our making of our own name famous, like whatever? What does it look like for us to lay down our lives, our comfort, convenience, legacy? I don't know. What does it look like for us to lay down our lives for our friends. And who are the friends of Jesus? Those who do what he commands. So um, are you a friend of Jesus? It's not a question of whether or not Jesus is your friend. It's a question of whether or not you are his friend. And he tests that. He doesn't actually say, hey, anybody can be my friend. That's just actually not what it says here. It says that Jesus counts as his friends those who do what he commands. So we might love to sing what a friend we have in Jesus, but Jesus is saying, hey, you're my friends if, it's a pretty big if, if you do what I command. So the great um, commission of Jesus actually includes teaching others to obey everything Jesus has commanded. And it got me thinking, hey, we ought to actually know 
what Jesus has commanded. Like to test whether or not Jesus sees us as his friends, he is going to observe our life and be like, well, are they actually doing what I command? I mean, are they actually doing it? Um, so we need to know what he commanded, right? Well, in Matthew's gospel, the very first word of Jesus in terms of his public ministry was a command. And it was the command to repent, to turn from sin to God, to make a 180 if necessary. Maybe for some folks, it's only a 90 degree turn. I don't really know, but it's to stop and to start living your life in the opposite direction and in the opposite spirit. Two verses later in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus commands people to follow him, to actually become his disciples, people who would learn, that's what disciples are, learners, people who would learn from the pattern of his life, and yes, from his teachings, but from the pattern of his life and attach their identity to his, becoming disciples of Jesus, not only his followers, but also people who recognized who he was and therefore worshiped him. Jesus um, starts his instruction um, by commanding those who follow him, which, if you're a Christian, includes you today. Jesus commands us to do things like let our light so shine before others that they would see our good works and glorify God in heaven. Jesus commands us to be reconciled when there is conflict among us. Um, He even says, hey, don't bother going to God and presenting your offerings there if you have not already attempted to be reconciled to your brother or your neighbor. Like, reconciliation comes first. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That may not sound like a command, but it is. Become so trustworthy and so reliable that people trust what you say about every little thing. Now, one of the more challenging commands is to turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate when someone sins against you. Don't take revenge, but instead forgive them. Forgive. Forgiveness is a big command of Jesus. He also says we ought to go beyond what the world demands of us, live out of a higher righteousness than the world demands. Again, that people might see God operating in and through us and thus be drawn to him. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, live out of the abundance of God's grace, give generously and graciously without partiality, without the expectation that those to whom you give would ever would ever be in a position to repay the gift. Don't show off your generosity. Don't worry. The list of Jesus' commands is actually fairly long. He's got a lot to say to those of us who would come after him. So, love God with all that you are and all that you have and all that you do, and love neighbor as self. It's an encouragement uh, today. Treat others as you want to be treated. Serve them. Seek reconciliation. Forgive. The list is pretty long, so let me encourage you to read the Gospels. Make your own list of all the things that Jesus commands his disciples to do. Maybe that would make for a good Lenten exercise as we consider again the one who came to make the Father known. Justin Jeppesen is going to join us next. We're going to talk a little bit about um, how you might spend this Lenten season in preparation for um, Holy Week and the events of uh, Calvary the crucifixion of Jesus and what happens there. Like, how are you going to prepare your heart and mind for that? And what might it look like to rest during Lent? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Justin Jefferson, <laughs> excuse me, is joining us now. He's a pastor. He has served for a number of years at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, and he joins us today to talk a little bit about obeying our own spiritual speed limit. Justin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen, it is such an honor to be back with you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I was turned on um, to this after reading a piece that is posted at strategicrenewal.com. We'll put the link to the entire um, post in the show notes for today. Um, This idea that my soul has a speed limit and that I might not be obeying it um, was uh, pretty convicting for me. (laughs) Well, I'm grateful to hear that. It it was for me as well. And that's, um, you know, it really came out of a season where um, I think I was uh, living, uh, trying to live outside my limits and uh, brush uh, brush up against my limits rather than accepting them and slowing down enough to um, actually pay attention to uh, what God was inviting me into during that season of time in my life. So let's use this as an opportunity. Um, we're we're approaching the season of Lent. People are mm-hmm. hopefully um, you know considering how they might invest themselves during that forty days in preparation. Uh, to really walk with Jesus during, you know, during Holy Week and certainly to Calvary, um, hmm. m- maybe invite us into slowing down during Lent. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think one of the things, Carmen, is I, I had to go back and reread what what was this article. I remember writing it, but I, it, I was convicted all over again <laughs> um, by the a couple of the different truths that um, the Lord just helped me see uh, in a fresh way. And one was, you know, how I mean, such a majority of Jesus's life was marked by complete obscurity. I mean, we. Mm. We have mm. just a, a small little snippet of, you know, obviously of his of his birth and angelic announcements and, um, you know, his family fleeing and returning back. Um, and then a little another little snippet in Luke 2 um, when he was 12, you know, returning back to Jerusalem. But then we have this huge gap. We don't have anything from him. And you were just, you know, in the introduction talking about the opening of his public ministry and his first words out of his mouth. Uh but yet that was, you know, you only had three years really of kind of being on the scene and being in, um, in the public eye. And it just, it, it, it shocked me how Jesus lived with this, this sense of urgency, right? I mean, he, he only had three years, <laughs> um, but we only, we sometimes only view, oh, Jesus's life and ministry is three years, but actually he was here for the full 33 years and everything that he did of what we don't even know about mattered. And it was preparing him um, for what he did and what he accomplished by his dependence on the Father during those three years of public ministry. And so just it really got me thinking in terms of how do I prepare to live? Uh, to, the approaching that moment of, of Calvary and that Passion Week is to be able to slow down and just to, to, to be able to, uh, you know, take notice of this obscurity and actually invite that. I think we want popularity. We, we, we so often can idolize productivity. We want to meet the bottom line. Sometimes we have the sense of, you know, if we're busy, then we must be valued. We must be productive, but we're not necessarily being fruitful or faithful. And, and so I think taking this cue of just the rhythm of the life of Jesus, of how he was completely content to be obscure for almost 30 years <laughs> before he ever did or said anything of what we're writing about, what he what was written about and what we're reading about in the scriptures and the gospels. 
I'm thinking um, about taking a, a, t- a total social media fast during during Lent, <laughs> yes. in, in in part in response to um, some of the things that you say in here about distraction, hmm. but also um, in in a recognition of of something something somebody said to me the other day, which was, you know, when John says if everything that Jesus had said and done, you know, had actually been recorded. Um, yeah. You know, the world wouldn't be big enough to contain all the books that would have to be written. And this yeah. person was reflecting on, um, you know, how obsessed the culture is today in recording and rebroadcasting everything mm. that people mm-hmm. say and do. And yeah. um, how, ego- I mean, like purely egotistical that is, um, mm-hmm. that a person today would imagine that the things we're doing and saying are worthy of recording and rebroadcasting when even all the things that Jesus said and did were not deemed by God worthy of recording and rebroadcasting. Yeah. And that's, and so, yeah. And yeah. Right. And so I was like convicted. I'm like, Hmm. Okay. Well, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, taking a a fast, uh, you know, social media fast during Lent is a good idea. And then of course, immediately I wonder, well, then will people listen to the podcast if I don't, you know, push it out on social media? Will people, you know, will people, you, you yeah. see what I'm saying? Like, right? Absolutely. Immediately, like the concern for mm-hmm. self rises up. And that, and that again, like, I just want to just cut that thing right back down. So mm-hmm. um, it's mm-hmm. such a, it's such a helpful conversation. Hey, when we um, come back from a very brief break, would you take us into slowing down um, and how it helps us? Um, cultivate in, uh, intimacy and how it promotes enduring fruitfulness? Because I think those are great, encouraging um, words. Mm. And then some practical suggestions for slowing down. Could yeah, we talk about I that? I would love to. Great. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. We're talking with Justin Jeppesen. Um, uh, among among other things, um, he serves with an organization called Strategic Renewal, um, but he's also a friend from the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can follow him um, uh, on Twitter at JustJepp, J-E-P-P. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Here he comes, here comes Speed Racer, he's a demon on wheels. Okay, Justin Jefferson doesn't actually tweet, so don't follow him on Twitter because yep. he hasn't even been there since like 2018, and and then it was only like once. So yeah, yep. so forget forget that. <laughs> Connect with Justin Jefferson at strategicrenewal.com. How's that sound? Is that a better a better option? That sounds good. You could also go to six three discipleship dot com. That's the kind of the area of ministry within Strategic Renewal that I'm I oversee and involved in. So that'd be all right. I love that six three <laughs> discipleship which is uh, one of the ministries of strategic renewal. So mm-hmm. um, I like this six, three plus six, four equals six, seven. And we'll let you yeah. guys go to strategicrenewal.com um, or six, three discipleship.com and find out what that means. Cause that's pretty fun as well. Um, <laughs> all right, Justin, talk with us about um, slowing down, um, yeah. how slowing down 
benefits us um, mm-hmm. because I think that, right, I want to, I count the cost of something, but I don't mm-hmm. always count on the other side of that, um, yeah. the the beauty of the intimacy and the, and the flourishing or fruitfulness that's going to come if I would simply obey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And just going back to the conversation around just the, just the pace in the life of, of Christ. I, I was, again, just, you know, I remember a number of years ago reading through the gospels and, and, it just seemed to pop off the pages how Jesus always lived with this sense of urgency, but he was never in a hurry. And he had this attentiveness um, to be fully present to what the father had for him in that moment. And I, uh, I think as, as that applies to my own life, I thought, man, I, I often treat, you know, interruptions um, with us, with an attitude of frustration um, as obstacles to, that get in the way of what I want to do, my own agenda. And uh, I see that in the life of Jesus, so many of the interruptions that happened in his life were actually some of the key moments of ministry. Um, and it, it almost seemed though, even when ministry started picking up, um, Jesus would actually run away from ministry to go pursue intimacy with his heavenly father and to go be alone with him. And yet Jesus's life was marked uh, by one of such rich, authentic, real, close, meaningful, and significant relationships. And Jesus, as the perfect human, is embodying everything that God intended for us as his created image bearers. And so, um, you know, this this idea that we are all longing for uh, close, intimate, real relationships. But yet, um, you know, I have a friend of mine that says this, this saying that, that love is slow. You know, mm. you can't love in a hurry. Um, you need to slow down and to be able to to cultivate the capacity, which I think we've lost for a number of reasons to actually give something or someone your full attention. And so, Mm. so slowing down, um, I think helps us to be able to do that. It may (laughs) be really difficult at first, but I think once we slow down and actually begin to be fully attentive to what is before us in the moment, because the moment we have is all we, is all we have. Um, and, and so in time, time is life. And so I think it helps us to fully embrace um, what our Heavenly Father has for us in that moment with whom he's put in our lives at that moment and in that season of time. And, you know, I said this in the article that kids spell love as T-I-M-E. And uh, I've noticed uh, time that, you know, three young kids of a five-year-old, three-year-old and a year and a half-year-old, uh, you know, they don't, all they, all they know is when I can fully give their attention, uh, when I can fully give them my attention. Um, those are the moments that I know that they are going to remember. And those are the moments that they've told me that they remembered already at this early stage in life. And so, uh, but that's true of every relationship. It takes time and it takes um, attention and attentiveness and awareness to be fully present uh, to yourself, to, to the Lord, to yourself and to the people around you. Mm. Um, Justin, uh, some of the things on the practical suggestion list um, mm-hmm. I took to heart um, I hate, I, I'm just going to confess right now. I'm a fast lane driver. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely a angry at people who drive slow in the fast lane driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that one was super convicting to me. I tried yeah. out the choose the long checkout line at the grocery store. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and when they opened up another lane, I was actually, I was actually at Goodwill and the, there was only one checkout line available. So, you know, you're, that's the line you're in and it was super long, but then they yeah. opened another line and I could have jetted over there. Like I was in a prime yeah. position to like jet over to the new line. And I just decided, you know what? 
I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to let the mm-hmm. people behind me get so excited that they get to go populate the new line. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, I mean, I don't know if that was an observance at all of what you're trying to encourage us to do, mm-hmm. practical suggestions for slowing down. Um, mm-hmm. But what are what are a couple of other ones other than driving in the slow lane and maybe choosing the longer <laughs> line at checkout? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because because it is a practical thing. And I and I think totally that, practical you know, just as. You and know, so convicting. Your, yeah. Well, likewise. And me too, as I'm, again, like I said, I'm getting convicted all over again, but you know, um, one of the ones, other ones I mentioned there was that idea of eating more slowly. And um, I mean, and just the, the idea of being able to, to make, prepare a meal and, and sit down at a table um, that takes time. And, and let me tell you with, as a, as a father of three young kids, sometimes that could be really frustrating because they, <laughs> they do not want to eat slowly. They're moving around. I feel like it's a gymnastic scene at our, at our dining room table most evenings, but, um, just that practice of, uh, of being able to actually really savor the goodness um, of that moment. And I mentioned my grandmother who, uh, um, passed away in 2020, but she, she would take the longest time eating meals. And, and I, you know, one of the things I realized as I was reflecting on that rereading this article is that almost after every single bite, she would just sit there and go, Hmm, this is so good. Thank you so much for making this wonderful meal. Mm. Then she'd take another bite and then she'd say something iteration. And I realized the fact that she was so grateful and she paused to make a comment on it. I was like, you know, in other words, gratitude and being thankful takes takes time, and, ha- and it helps me slow down. And so I, I have found that whenever I feel like I'm in a rush, um, I'm feeling hurried, I'm feeling uh, irritated, I'm feeling frustrated. That's actually an invitation by God for me to stop, to pause, to recognize what's going on in the moment, and to and to express gratitude uh, to Him and to others. And so that's that's another one. Um, and and another one, Carmen, for me that has been. A practice of mine for several years now is just to bookend my days with silence. Um, I like the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. I said in the article is that he he begins and ends his day with silence so that God has the first word when he wakes up and has the last word before he goes to sleep. And that idea of just being able to pay uh, attention to God and to practice silence before him is uh, is really difficult. But when you can be silent with somebody else, it's actually a sign that intimacy uh, and depth of relationship has been cultivated with them. Um, I so that. I think, yeah, those are a couple other, a couple other suggestions. I love that. I, I really appreciate that. Hey, as an encouragement to, um, to you and your wife and the season of life that you're in, um, <laughs> the, the two of you sitting and sharing a meal, um, mm. and actually savoring it, even mm. if the other people are not sitting at the table and, yeah. uh, and not savoring it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a demonstration and a witness. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, I remember a, a counselor telling my sister when her kids were really, really little. And at one point she's like, I just feel like I'm like throwing food at them as they like pass yeah. by on their little things where they're <laughs> running around. And there's that little and the and, and the counselor Absolutely. said, you know what, that's OK, because, you know, when they're 20, they're not going to be doing that. Right. And so, but, you know, be a demonstration, you and your husband, this was to my sister, be a demonstration, yeah. right? Like demonstrate yep. that the two of you can sit down at peace, even in the midst of, of relative chaos and yep. share a meal. Absolutely. So I just Absolutely. encourage you, encourage you. Thank in that. you. Hey, you are thank such you an that. encouragement. Um, thank you so much for, for mm. joining us. Let me direct everybody to strategicrenewal.com and then 
from there to 63discipleship.com. If you're looking for, um, you know, you're looking for encouragement, you're looking for help in how to draw closer to Jesus, um, check out the Ministries of Strategic Renewal and specifically 63discipleship.com where um, Justin would, would love to connect with you today as you pursue spirit-powered character and service as a Christian in the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, it's um, it's like one thirty in the morning, uh, in New Zealand, which is hard for me to imagine, but that's what time it is. Um, but it's Tuesday already, so it's one thirty in the morning, uh, Tuesday, February the fourteenth, in Wellington, New Zealand. Just as a point of reference, it's already two sixteen in the Chatham Islands territory of New Zealand uh, on the fourteenth of February, um, and they are in uh, in the midst of um. A, a tremendous uh, cyclone, cyclonic experience. They are experiencing Cyclone Gabrielle. It's lashing their country right now um, with torrential rains and wind. Um, and uh, there's a state of m- emergency across nine regions, affecting a third of New Zealand's population. And um, uh, and you say to yourself, you know, why is Carmen telling me what's happening in New Zealand? Um, because God's got the whole world in his hands. Because God's got concern for the 5.1 million people who live in New Zealand and uh, the 100,000 of them that are currently without power um, in a very frightening cyclone. And I don't want us to um, lose sight of the things that God is paying attention to today. And so I'm going to encourage us to, you know, I like to just call it hashtag pray the news. Get your map out today. Get your globe out today. Um, spend some time praying for the people of Ukraine. Spend some time praying today for the people of New Zealand. Spend some time praying today for the people in Turkey and Syria. Spend some time praying today for the people of Nigeria. A Christian family um, in Nigeria with a five-year-old daughter whose name is Rejoice are enduring great suffering. She's been kidnapped by Muslim extremists. Um... And we're praying for her safe return. So in those cupped hands, I'm going to encourage you to lift up the family, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Nigeria, the family of a little girl named Rejoice. And while you're holding that one family in your cupped hands, I want you to consider that God's got the whole world in the same posture. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Daniel Bennett is going to join us next. We're going to survey some of the headline news here in the United States of America. Joining us now, uh, Dr. Daniel Bennett. You can find him at John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Daniel, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Um, Help us think through um, giving and care and concern. Uh, Maybe the word here is welfare um, and the varieties of ways that Christians engage in 
the civic practice of welfare in a country like the United States of America? Right. So, you know, in a country like ours with a pretty diverse, uh, a diverse and vast civil society, there's lots of different ways that we can help our neighbors. Uh, you know, one obvious one is for churches to support people in their midst, uh, to support people outside the church who just happen to be, you know, part of the larger community. And then there's, you know, the, the role of government in all of this. How do we provide services on a grander scale to people who otherwise, you know, we wouldn't encounter? And that's one of the big debates right now, uh, living in our, our new uh, post-Roe era, as Christians try to wrestle with how can we leverage not only our, you know, private and corporate work uh, practices to serve, you know, women, children, families in our community, but to what extent should we be more open to empowering and, and equipping government to do the same thing? And so that, I think that's a big, uh, it's a kind of a newer debate among a lot of Christians, especially those on the right who are generally skeptical of, of government programs. And so this conversation comes down to, you know, at what point do we say, okay, um, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life from conception to natural death. And that's going to mean that uh, I'm going to have to put some money where my mouth is um, and tangibly assist people who are now going to be raising children that they would have otherwise aborted. Um, how do I um, actually, actually help parents raise their own children in a post-Roe world? Um, and there are people who are advocating like direct, uh, uh, I mean, direct payments to parents who are struggling to pay for, um, you know, for the basics, rent, health care, groceries, child care, on and on and on. Yeah. And these aren't uh, people who are, you know, finally see an opening to take advantage of, you know, government spending. These are uh, conservatives. These are Americans United for Life. These are folks at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Uh, you know, traditionally conservative groups who nevertheless recognize, uh, you know, this is kind of a new moment and we have to be creative in how we uh, how we approach the issue of of our post row environment where, you know, it's an unqualified good that there are going to be more children being born in the United States, God willing. Right. And so how do we how do we care for them in ways where we really haven't had to you know, think about that in the past. Now, this does not mean, you know, Christians have to therefore support any government program uh, that that supposedly deals with women and children. Otherwise, you know, they're surrendering their credibility on these issues. I think we still be, you know, skeptical in the best way. I think we are still critical and, uh, you know, we, we're discerning in, in what we support. Uh, but But our reaction, especially conservatives, to uh, you know, oppose government spending just because it's from the government. I don't think that's a good strategy anymore. Uh, I think we have to be more creative in how we approach these issues holistically. Um, which leads to all kinds of uh, conversations that become pretty defensive um, very, very quickly. <laughs> they just, they just do. I don't know if you've tried to have this conversation with um, with somebody who thinks that you know every government program of every variety is bad, except for the ones that benefit their family. Um, sure. <laughs> and, and right. Um, and just how like instantly defensive people become. So if we're not talking about just a wild expansion of government programs, what are we talking about? What are these conservatives um, talking about as they uh, as they seek to change the conversation about this in the country? 
So I think what you know Mitt Romney has proposed, and it's similar to the expanded child tax credit that was uh, announced uh, and implemented during the COVID years. Uh, you know, something like that, where it's based on family size, it's targeted towards, you know, families of certain income levels. Um, you know, it's not this, you know, free check every month. But, you know, if you have a newborn child, you get so much for a couple of years, and then until they're 18. That's one proposal. It's not the proposal. You know, the proposal simply might be to expand, uh, you know, services, you know, means tested uh, services for women, infants and children. So like WIC and SNAP benefits, providing more for food and, and those essentials when, as the children are, are growing. Um, you know, one of the more creative ones, I think, was from Americans United for Life, which would, uh, you know, invest money in the same way that uh, organ organ donations are, are free. You know, if I want to donate a kidney, I don't have to, you know, pay for that. Um, to try to make birth free in the United States so that there's there's really no cost to, you know, individual women and their families to have prenatal care, uh, certainly delivery care and then postnatal care to a certain point. Um, are these going to solve all of our problems? No. Right. But for some some families, it could be a significant burden uh, released. And those are the kinds of things we should be thinking about is. Not how do we just put, you know, a few hundred bucks in every American's pocket in perpetuity, but how do we really target this stuff in a way that'll be beneficial to our most vulnerable among us? Well, and uh, Dan, if we say, okay, we really value, um, first of all, two parent households, then, Mm. you know, how are we encouraging um, marriage? How are we rebuilding marriage? Um, If we really uh, believe that kids should be raised by their parents, then how are we actually like tangibly encouraging one of those parents to stay home and raise the children? Like, right. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, what are we doing in terms of like rebuilding families, rebuilding communities, rebuilding, you know, multi-generational church where, you know, the church actually does lean into this conversation instead of always leaning away from it and saying, well, you know, mm-hmm. the government's really taken over that area. So let's just let them have it. Like, I, like there's a, there's a leaning back in that is required um, and it's going to be inconvenient and expensive. But you know what? Children are inconvenient and expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's one of those issues, too. You mentioned, uh, you know, strengthening and encouraging marriage and, you know, having a more traditional home situation where, you know, uh, a parent shouldn't have to feel like they have to work uh, in order to support the family. And immediately, you know, if that, you know, if, if the Romney proposal, for example, uh, is debated, that's going to be a major sticking point for those on, on the political left saying, well, why, you know, are we limiting this to, to married couples? Or why are we incentivizing a parent, presumably a woman, to stay home? Uh, you know, w- w- what is this, the 1950s? You know, d- just that kind of mentality. And so it's not like conservatives are the only ones holding this up, right? There's going to be pushback, but that's kind of the point for these contentious policies. Let's hash this out rather than just having knee jerk. No, we're moving on. It's not worth it. Well, and let's not um, argue from a position of privilege where um, people have the financial flexibility and the accumulated wealth over generations to do what they are preventing others from being able to do. Like that's the part of the justice conversation that doesn't, rise up in this enough uh, in terms of, um, 
you know, in, in, in terms of the experience that I have in a rural part of America, um, but recognizing that it is equally true and maybe even more pronounced in urban environments. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of conversation to be had here. Um, and just wanted to thank you for helping us, um, helping us spark the conversation today. It's really helpful. Um, we're going to talk uh, next with Dan Bennett about some other things going on right now across the country. I'm going to ask him if he watched the Super Bowl, and if so, does he have any reaction to the Jesus ads? And then we're also going to talk about something going on in the Fifth Circuit. I don't even remember what the Fifth Circuit is, but he'll remind us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Paul Perot has picked There Will Be Joy in the Morning, recognizing that in Philadelphia today, there is no joy. Mm -hmm. There's no joy this morning. All the joy is in Kansas City, uh, and um, the the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Dan Bennett, did you watch any part of it? Oh, yes. Now, we had some people over for the game, and and our kids thought about watching it, but quickly got distracted by their friends and uh, the adults in the room. We enjoyed the game. Okay, so fantastic. Any chance you saw either one of the um, uh, Jesus Gets Us uh, campaign ads, the He Gets Us ads? So, so apparently I missed the first one, but I did see the second one toward the end of the game. I kept wondering when they were going to play it. Okay, me too. But and I'm, during that yeah. ad, did you know what the ad was for before? Or did you just think, wow, these people's faces are really, really angry. I wonder what this is all about. Well, I wouldn't have known unless this had kind of been all over my social media and just interest over the last few weeks with uh, so much advertise or so much coverage of the advertising from this campaign. Um, but as soon as the music kicked in and it was kind of an unorthodox ad, I, I thought, oh, this this has got to be it, especially because they hadn't played it. <laughs> so right. it was it was kind of a tip off. So um, reaction to that particular ad, and just for those of you that didn't see it, um, it was a series of uh, uh, photographs of, it's all black and white, people very angry. I mean, in like spitting angry in one another's face. And um, and it was scenes from across the United States of America. And some of the scenes were um, identifiable for sure. Uh, many mm-hmm. of them were not. Um, and there were, you know, and there were evidently there were all kinds of people, all kinds of people yelling at each other. Um, and it was very unpleasant to watch and and hard to watch. I mean, like I, like hand wringingly difficult to watch. You definitely wondered where it was going. And then there is the line. Um, he gets us. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it resonated with people, even if they didn't know it was coming, you know, seeing the vitriol in, in people's faces. I mean, this is going to be a familiar scene for a lot of folks, hopefully not in you know their personal lives but probably so right they you know they this is kind of a common feature of our civic life together now where people just get angry and just just rage filled about you know important things but also unimportant things sometimes and the message of of this commercial was essentially you know Jesus uh, you know was a person right he's fully god fully man and so he experienced the rage directed toward him Right. If you imagine him or if you if you, you know, recall him, you know, on at his trial and there's the anger from from the religious leaders of the day against this person who's, you know, declaring that he effectively God is God. 
And uh, so, I mean, the campaign reminds us, I think, first of all, that Jesus experiences all the things that we've experienced in our lives, um, but also provides a, a way forward and a, and a way out of the anger and the vitriol that is consuming us right now. Um, and hey, if you're wondering why is Carmen um, talking about this, well, it's because the New York Times, CNN, USA mm. Today, and virtually every other media outlet has um, has a headline, high-priority headline today, yeah. um, related to this. And so literally, if the world is talking about it and the world is talking about Jesus, it gives us a wide-open door um, to talk about him as well. well. And so I just want to— And, wanna, and, yeah, and Carmen, yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if you noticed this, but— it it attracted a share of critics on both the the right and the left the the ad the the ad campaign so on the right people were pointing to the funders behind it and saying yeah but you know this is just a a way for them to kind of shoehorn in a woke message about acceptance and love and uh, maybe this is you know going to try to encourage uh, you know, pro LGBTQ uh, messaging. And, but on the left, uh, <laughs> Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez last night saying uh, this is basically trying to make fascism look benign was what she said on social media, which I'm not sure which ad she was watching. <laughs> I don't really know, know that huh. message, but it angered people on both the left and the right. And my gut reaction is, OK, so maybe there is something good about this, actually. Um, well, and the good news no about that really comment happy. is nobody knows what fascism is and nobody knows what it means for something to be benign other than a tumor. Well, that's right. Yeah, like, that's, so that's I'm helpful. just saying like, right. So, you, yeah, it's kind of help, her, her comment is helpful in its obscurity. Um, all right. Here's uh, here's the question for you today as a Christ uh, worshiper, Christ follower, Christ person. Have you got Jesus? Then help other people get Jesus because he gets us. That's my that's my over and under on the whole he gets us campaign. Have you got Jesus? then help other people get Jesus because, yes, he gets us. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, Daniel, we got a couple of minutes um, left. Um, can you can you just tell us what the Fifth Circuit is and what they did? <laughs> so the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals is uh, one of the country's most important lower courts uh, in the United States. So you got the Supreme Court, of course, and then a series of circuit courts or appellate courts and uh, the Fifth Circuit, uh, which encompasses Texas and Louisiana, a couple other states, generally seen as one of the more conservative circuits in the in the country, just given who has been appointing the judges over the years. Um, but uh, I think what you're referring to is a decision on on Friday or actually it was earlier last week, um, which approved certain carve outs uh, for uh, religious uh, people objecting to LGBT rights. And so it continues a uh, continues a progression that we've seen over the last few years where the legislatures have really been unable to act on trying to balance religious sincerity with civil rights for LGBT Americans. And so a lot of these, uh, I guess, solutions or possible solutions are being hashed out in courts. And the Fifth Circuit is just the latest court to do this. Yeah. So this is um, this is good news. Um, if you are a religious person um, and you employ other people, um, this lower court order has or a lower court order has been upheld by the Fifth Circuit um, that would shield you as a faith based employer from having to comply with yeah. some of um, of the federal government's anti LGBTQ discrimin- so called discrimination laws. So it's a right. it's a good ruling. I'm sure we will have. 
um, more on it in the future, but I wanted to highlight that it had happened. Yeah. And for churches, this has already been the status quo, right? Their churches right. are exempt from all sorts of things, but this expands it, like you said, to, to certain businesses. Yeah. All right. Um, Daniel, as always, thank you so much. Um, have a have a very blessed day. Thanks, Carmen. Yeah. You can find Daniel Bennett at John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. You got me singing like So every morning, um, CNN sends out their like top five top five news stories of the day, and at the bottom of that list is one like "Don't miss, absolutely don't miss" headline today. CNN's "Don't miss" headline at the bottom of their five most important things for people to be paying attention to today. Many of which we've already discussed, and the rest of which we will discuss before the end of the second hour. But there was this: uh, Kentucky has seen its first infant anonymously dropped off at one of its baby box safe surrender locations. Um, we have talked about safe haven baby boxes here. Uh, we have talked with uh, CEO Monica Kelsey. Um, and I just want to celebrate that uh, the world is taking note of this extraordinary um, pro-life movement of these safe haven baby boxes. This child is the 24th infant in the country to be surrendered at one of these now more than 130 baby boxes and these drawers that um, are in, they're like in police stations, in fire stations, um, and in hospitals. They have to be in places that, um, you know, have personnel available 24-7. This particular baby box is in Bowling Green, Kentucky, um, and uh, it's only been there a couple of months. And so we just want to celebrate that um Another life has been saved um, through this particular ministry and that the world is taking note of it today because CNN put it on its must-read list. So I'm just celebrating that, just absolute open celebration that secular media is taking note of this very pro-life headline. Um, you uh, You can get all the links to what we talked about today in the show notes, which will be posted later at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you download the podcast. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.